You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather in your house of prayer, even during a time of pandemic. And we ask that amidst all the distractions that this time provides, that we can be attentive and focused on your word, for indeed you do have the words of eternal life. Make us to be better students of your word, better disciples of your Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen. Then I'm going to be taken over again, okay? So... Um, One of, the, one of the things, compliments I'm often given is, Pastor, you pray so beautifully. Uh, and uh, at least I was given that compliment until I came here, and now I have to stand next to this guy. And as, uh, as, my, uh, as my brother-in-law says, he said, I feel sometimes when I hear Michael pray, like Paul's up in heaven going, Michael, you can lean back a little bit on that one, okay? So, <laughs> no, no, it's a, it is a privilege to stand next to this guy at prayer. Um, and uh, so, because I'm offered that compliment, I, I do want to tell you my wife's favorite story about me praying. Um, and uh, I'm going to start by showing you this picture. Y'all recognize this one, Norman Rockwell's Thanksgiving? I think this is probably a Saturday evening post kind of thing. Everything's perfect. Everyone's hair is perfect. The turkey's perfect. The lighting's perfect. It wasn't Thanksgiving, but it felt like this the first time I was asked to pray in public. Um, we were out at my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, uh, my girlfriend at the time's grandmother's house. She lived in town where we went to school, and uh, we would go to worship with, with her on Sunday morning so that we would go, then go out to family dinner with her afterward. And, um, you know, I wasn't even a Christian yet. I was just going with the cute girl to church <laughs> and for the home-cooked meal after. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking about it, but I wasn't nearly there yet. And so we, we sit down, and it felt like a scene out of Eisenhower's America. Everything was perfect. It was perfect Americana and the lace doilies and everything else. And we sit down to the family meal, and her grandmother looks at me and says, Brett, why don't you pray for us tonight? I didn't even pray at home. <laughs> and the closest thing I had to a prayer at that point in my life was, hope this one goes in. <laughs> and uh, I thought for a moment, I folded my hands, itching, just trying to scrabble a little extra time, and I started in on the only prayer I knew. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. <laughs> Because my grandfather had taught me that one when I was tiny, and I still remembered it even though our family didn't go to church. 
Now, Jesus begins our section of the Gospel today by reminding us that this is not the correct way to pray. See, the reason why I screwed up and, or didn't have anything coming to my mind is I was more conscious of the people who were listening to me pray than the person I was talking to in prayer. And while that's understandable for that time in my life because I didn't have a prayer life, Jesus warns us against this. He continues what he's talked about last week with performing for an audience of one by lifting up for us that when we're talking to God, we're either talking to Him or we're talking for the benefit of other people. And if we're talking so that they can hear us talking, then we've received our reward if they notice. But if what we want to do is have a conversation with the God of the universe who we are learning to call Father through Jesus on issues of mutual concern to us, that's something completely different. And we're warned against paying attention to what other people are thinking about us while we're praying. Because our Father is in secret. In a certain sense, our relationship with God is hidden from everyone around us. And so we pray, thinking only of the one to whom we're speaking and whom we're hoping to hear from in return. Well, Jesus is then going to go on in our passage to talk about a certain way we really shouldn't pray in addition to this. And he's going to say this wonderful word, batologestete. Now, I can't say it like a Greek because I took three semesters of Italian. So I'm going to, it's going to sound Italian when I say it. Batologestete. Um, this, this is a, a Greek word which is translated by the translation we just heard this morning as heap up empty phrases. Don't heap up empty phrases when you pray. The Good News Bible, the one we give to little kids usually around fourth grade, is, is use a lot of meaningless words. The New International Version translates this as, as keep, on, keep on babbling. I like that one because the word babble comes from Babylon, which was the chief uh, religious rival to ancient Israel in the Old Testament. And here's one that's caused a certain amount of confusion and difficulty. Use not vain repetitions, the old King James Version here. Now this has caused some difficulty because it's caused a lot of intra-Christian arguing about how to pray. My very first call, um, my first church, one of my good friends became the conservative Baptist pastor who lived two miles up the road, or his church was two miles up the road. And he invited me to come out to a meeting of all the area pastors. And he said, I came to invite you as a Lutheran because I was invited by the, the former Catholic priest. And in the church I grew up in, I was told the Catholics aren't real Christians because they don't know how to pray. They use all cold, dead prayers instead of live, living ones. And then, when our group got together, I listened to this guy praying and I thought, ooh, he loves Jesus more than I do. What do I do with this? <laughs> because we pray liturgically. Certain traditions, Catholic, Lutheran, Anglican, Orthodox, Presbyterian, Methodist. We use prayers that are written ahead of time in our worship life, our liturgies. And so we're gonna, I'm going to stop and pause a minute and talk about that kind of prayer because it's going to tie back in with what Jesus is teaching us in teaching us the Lord's Prayer. Now here's a wonderful 
Here's a wonderful quote by a Southern Baptist theologian, Dallas Willard. He says, The word Baruchasete, translated vain repetition in the familiar King James Version, refers to senseless repetition, like that of one who stammers or is babbling. It has nothing to do with thoughtfully used liturgy. You can be just as man-pleasing and fleshly in extemporaneous and informal religious exercises as in pre-established and formal ones, perhaps even more so, especially if you're proud of being informal. When we pray extemporaneously or off the cuff, like I was asked to do in that strange situation, we can become very aware of what other people are thinking about us as we stammer through the sentences we haven't put together instead of thinking about whom we're speaking to and why. Now, this is important because we're, there's, there's a role that this kind of preformed or pre-written liturgical prayer plays in our life, and it's similar to what Jesus is doing with his disciples today. Here's a couple of ways liturgical prayer functions in our common life as Christians. First of all, it is common. It's the corporate prayer of the assembled people of God. I have a colleague who became a Lutheran. He used to be a Southern Baptist pastor. He actually became a Lutheran. In the end, he became a Lutheran because he came to agree with us on what sacraments were from a standpoint of the New Testament. But he started that journey because from his estimation, even when his church got together in 60, 70, 100 people, they had 60, 70, or 100 people praying individually rather than being able to come together and pray as a group. That was what started his journey. The reigning metaphor in the New Testament of the assembled people of God, of the church, is that of an army. An army that's marching on the gates of hell. That's perfectly in keeping with the Old Testament where we see Joshua leading armies and God is called the Lord of hosts, which means the Lord of armies, the armies of heaven. And us, as New Covenant Christians, are to be marching on the gates of hell. That means we're in attack formation. Now, an army where every soldier does what they think is best is an army on its way to defeat. We need marching orders. And liturgical prayer begins to bring all of us from our disparate concerns of the week and the day and bring them us to, together to focus upon something in common. The prayer of the church that we prayed right at the beginning of this service, that we pray every week, is a pre-printed prayer. It's the prayer that every other North American Lutheran church in Mexico and the United States and Canada is praying at the same time we pray to get all of us pulling in the same direction and focused upon the same thing as we go through the cycle of the church year. So these prayers are the corporate prayers. And this is why Michael and I dress in these white robes. We st we're stand-ins for the whole congregation when we stand at the altar. These would be our prayers. And we're to thoughtfully engage them, not senselessly repeat them or just say amen. So that... That's the corporate prayer of the people of God. And the next thing that these prayers do is they expand our circle of concern. There are circles in our life that characterize our lives. The, the narrowest one is our circle of influence. This is the small group of things and people and events that I have the opportunity to influence personally by my action and decisions. I'm a pretty 
unimportant person among seven billion other people. So that's a pretty small circle. But way beyond that is my circle of concern. The things I'm worried about but over which I have very little or no influence. To give a contemporary example from our modern culture, I don't know, if, did you hear that there's an election going on this year? Um, the advertising is inescapable, right? No matter where I go, I can't escape ads for one of the two candidates. Let me clue you into something. If you already know who you're voting for, those advertisements are not for you. <laughs> They're for the undecided voter. This election is going to... The only people who have a circle of influence that extends out are the people who are undecided at this moment. That's why billions of dollars are being spent to influence them because they're the influencers. Now, my circle of concern includes what's going on in our national election and a whole lot of other things. But my circle of concern is not yet as large as God's. Remember what I said before that prayer is meant to be a conversation with the living God on issues of mutual concern? Well, God's concerned about a whole lot more than I am. So my heart, like, do you remember the, how the Grinch stole Christmas and his heart grew three sizes that day? My heart, my circle of concern needs to grow until it increasingly looks like God's circle of concern. And with prayers that were written by someone else with a different perspective and a different focus in their devotional life, that helps me, helps, helps my heart grow. And so both in my private prayer and in my public prayer. I use a little a prayer that's written by someone else and a little prayer that I'm praying off the cuff, as it were. But that's one of the, another thing that liturgical prayer does for us. It also provides a model for us on how to pray in our private lives. One of the reasons why I went to the Our Father when I didn't know how to pray in that moment was because it was the only prayer I knew. <laughs> We need to learn how to pray. Just like learning anything else in our lives. You had to learn how to talk by imitating others. So we learn how to pray by imitating others. Liturgical prayer is a model for our prayer lives. Now, here's the other fun word that, that is thrown in here. Jesus says, don't heap up empty phrases like the ethnicoi, which is translated in our reading today as Gentiles. Gentiles literally means anybody who's not a Jew, which was appropriate to whom Jesus was speaking at the time. But it's also appropriate to anyone outside the church, which is why different translations have it translated differently. Pagans is how the good news translates it. So does the New International Version. The old King James uses the very politically incorrect heathens. Don't pray like the heathens do. Well, there's a couple of reasons why we don't. So here's why we don't pray like those who are outside of the family of faith. First of all, because we know a different paternoster than the father of Jesus. There's a time when in American uh, education everyone would have known the word paternoster, but it literally translates as our father. But it meant the head of the household in the Roman Empire. Now, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is a very different kind of God than you would have prayed to if you were a Roman citizen. If you knew the Paternoster as Jupiter, or you were Greek and knew the Paternoster as Zeus, you would have known that the Paternoster's primary job was to run around and seduce human women. 
If you worshipped in Egypt, you would have known the Paternoster as Osiris. We pray differently because we know a different Father in Heaven. And if you know any of those ancient stories, if you know what the gods typically did and what happened to humans who messed with the gods, they typically got steamrolled. <laughs> so the reason why you went to a temple was to pay off the gods to please not steamroll me today. <laughs> or maybe get a favor from them. You go to visit Aphrodite because you want someone to fall in love with you. Or you go to visit Mars' temple because you're going off to war and you hope to come back alive. You're hoping for a, you're hoping for a favor or you're hoping to get them off your back. But they have their own agenda. The God of our Father, the one we've learned to call, we're learning to call Father through Jesus Christ, the God of Jesus Christ who He calls Father, He's very different. He's not capricious with His own agenda and we're just hoping His agenda works with ours. His agenda is the good of His children. In our reading today, Jesus says, your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. His only agenda is His children and their welfare like any good father. Now, this is, um, this is a, a waiting room of a hospital. And it was in a room just like this, or very similar to this, that I had one of the most formative experiences I've ever had in thinking about this passage of Scripture. I was in there with a fellow pastor in that group I told you about before. He was the Wesleyan pastor. And um, it, we were in the ICU, we were going in to visit parishioners who were both in the intensive care unit. And um, they kicked us out because it was time for a shift change with the nurses. So we were out in the waiting room talking with each other. And we just got talking about prayer. And I got talking, I think about the last time we had all gotten together for prayer. And I said, we, I always like to use the Lord's Prayer because everyone knows it. He goes, oh, I never pray the Lord's Prayer. I said, oh, really? He said, I, yeah, I'm convinced Jesus gave it to us as a model of prayer. And so I never, I never actually used those words. Oh. Well, it got me thinking and researching and doing a little bit. And um, I'm going to come back and talk about where I eventually landed as we head into thinking about the actual words of the Lord's Prayer. First of all, if you grew up Catholic, you probably uh, grew up hearing called the Our Father. That's perfectly in keeping with church history. Um, throughout church history, many prayers and hymns and stuff like this are referred to by their first couple of words. Uh, the Nunc Dimittis, it, that's the first two words in Latin of the Song of Simeon, that the old man Simeon, the old prophet Simeon, says in the Gospel of Luke when he first encounters the baby Jesus, Lord, now you let your servant go in peace. Or the Magnificat, Mary's song, when she is told she's pregnant with Jesus and she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Even the books of Genesis and Exodus are named for the first word in that book. In the beginning, Genesis. Okay? So, this is perfectly in keeping. Protestants tend to call it the Lord's Prayer because it is the prayer that Jesus actually prays. Our Lord Jesus prays this prayer even as He teaches us to pray it. Next, it has the approval of the Spirit which our Lord bestows. At the end of the Gospel of John, we see Jesus appear after His resurrection and He breathes on His disciples, giving them His Holy Spirit. 
Well, we know that the Spirit approves of this prayer, first of all, because the actual words are in Scripture, but second of all, because in the book of Romans, we are told by St. Paul that we do not know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit intercedes with us, for us, excuse me, with sighs too deep for words. The Spirit prays on our behalf. And as Galatians 4, 6 and Romans 8, 15 make clear, we can't even call God Father in faith without the power of the Holy Spirit. Because this prayer begins with our Father, we know that it's a Spirit-empowered prayer when it's prayed in faith. Did you also notice the word our there? Even if you're praying this alone at home in your bedroom, you're part of the whole people of God who have prayed this throughout time and space. We pray this as a family of faith. When we introduce this prayer in worship, the Lord's Prayer, you'll hear us use these words, Michael and I, Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. This is a combination of two biblical verses. Sometime we're going to go through the whole of everything we say on a Sunday morning. I'm going to show you exactly where in the Bible it comes from. But this particular phrase is a combination of Luke 23.42 and Luke 11.1. Luke 23.42 is where the good thief, Dismas, the one hanging on one side of Jesus, says to him, looking upon he who is crucified and bleeding to death next to him, and he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. To look upon the crucified one and know that his is the kingdom which is to come. That's an act of faith. And Luke 11.1, 1, which is where in the Gospel of Luke, the parallel to the Lord's Prayer is given, the variant of the Lord's Prayer is given. The disciples actually say to Jesus, teach us how to pray, Lord. John's, John's disciples taught him, will you teach us? So we, though we are beggars and thieves like the one who hung beside Jesus on the cross, we ask him to teach us how to pray. And he gives us what my friend accurately identified as this model of prayer called the Lord's Prayer. Now, I would love to go through this in detail. We're going to have to do a whole sermon series someday only on the Lord's Prayer. But you all want to get to communion. So, what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to take you quickly through the different petitions and just point out a quick meaning. If you were using the Lord's Prayer as a model, what you might get out of that section of the prayer. So, the first section is, Our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name. We are to remember by name, by the revealed name of God, our relationship with God, which is the one to whom we're praying. I have a wonderful friend, one of my oldest friends in, in the world, back to when we were four or five years old, and I was having um, dinner with him a couple of years ago, and our lives have gone in very different directions and at the time we were close with each other neither one of us could have ever predicted that I would become a Christian let alone a pastor and um, when we were just having a conversation over dinner I think he was afraid I might bring my faith up at some point because he sort of jumped in to forestall me saying well you know I believe in God he's out there somewhere like let's not have this conversation <laughs> well I thought to myself, what good is it to talk to a God who's out there somewhere? That's akin to like writing a letter and then not putting a mailing address in it, dropping it in the box and hoping it gets where you're going. 
I hope someone gets this someday. <laughs> We're to remember the God who has revealed himself to us by name, which teaches us about our relationship with him. So whether you pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, which is what the sign of the cross it means, or whether you pray to the Lord Almighty, Elohim, or Jesus, or Father, or Holy Spirit. These are the revealed names of God, and they remind us of our relationship of, with God as we pray. Next, we pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is to remind us of what it really is we should be praying for. Sure, I have my agenda when I come to God in prayer, but I really am coming in prayer because I'm hoping to get on His agenda. To go kind of back to that metaphor of being a soldier in battle, I'm hoping I come home from this battle intact, like all soldiers have in every battle. But here's the reality. I signed up for the army because I want the kingdom to win. So if today that requires of me the last full measure of devotion, if that's what day it is, I need to be able to hear that word and get on God's agenda as I pray. It's His will I ultimately want to see done because His will is better than my will. Don't get me wrong, I'm hoping they overlap. <laughs> but that's the case, is that His is better than mine. The prayer goes on, Give us this day our daily bread. If you are an ancient Israel, or Israel, I say ancient, 20 centuries ago, if you're the Jews that Jesus is talking to you, talking to and you hear this word, daily bread, there's only one biblical story you're going to be put in mind of. The manna in the wilderness. Where for 40 years the people of God were not allowed to provide for themselves for tomorrow. They had to scrape this food-like stuff. The word manna literally means whatever. Stuff. They had to scrape this stuff off the ground to eat. And if they tried to save enough to eat tomorrow, unless tomorrow was the Sabbath day, it rotted. Every day for 40 years, the Lord taught them to rely on Him alone in a day-to-day, moment-to-moment basis for their health and well-being. With our 401ks and our insurance policies, we like to think we're fixed against the uncertainties of the future. But the reality is, revolutions throughout time have put everybody's plans at naught. We are all as dependent upon God day-to-day, not just for our financial security or our family security, but for our, the breath in our bodies as anyone ever was. And we're to remember that when we pray. Ask for what we need and remember our dependence on Him. Prayer goes on, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. First thing this does is remind us of what we really need, Right? What we really need is forgiveness because my daily bread may sustain my life for today, but forgiveness will extend my life forever. And as a great missionary once said, it's no bad deal to trade in what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. And we ask God in this petition to treat us as we treat others in respect to forgiveness. A good thing to remember, if I am ever tempted to nurture a grudge, I'm asking God to do the same with me. Not a good plan. 
The prayer continues, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We want to remember that salvation is ultimately God's responsibility. But we want to ask that we not have the chance to blacken His name by our unrighteous behavior to besmirch His righteousness and holiness and goodness. Lead us not into temptation that we might fall and give a bad witness to the God who saves us. And finally, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. This little tag-on is, is traditionally done here. Um, and what, here's what that is. Remember that only God and His kingdom are eternal. Not our troubles and trials. And boy, is there a better bit of news that could be given to you as you pray. <laughs> because in a fallen world, as Jesus said, troubles will come. Comedian Mark Lowry, uh, who wrote the song, um, Mary, Did You Know? He always says, his favorite Bible verses, it came to pass, which means it didn't come to stay. We remember that only God and His kingdom are eternal and that our troubles are passing away as surely as this world is. That as big a deal as they are to us right now, someday we will look back, like Julian of Norwich said, and see them as no more than a bad night in an inconvenient hotel. This beautiful model of prayer is, I think my friend was right, but I, th I think he was right, it is a model, but I don't think he was right to never pray it. And here's why. A model's no good unless you keep it in front of you. What you see on the screen before you are some journeymen painters seeking to become master painters. If you go to any big art gallery, you'll find them there. They set up an easel, they put it in front of the master's work, and as close as they can, brush stroke for brush stroke, they try to recreate the master's work. Not because they're hoping that someday they'll be painting just like the master. Every artist has their own style, just as I'm sure your prayer life is nothing like Jesus's. But they seek to imitate the master because they know they have something to learn from him. Do you know the one thing they're never allowed to do? Anybody know what it is? You see them painting like this? The painting can never be the same size as the original because that would make it a forgery. <laughs> they copy as best they can, knowing that their work is always less significant than the original but always hoping to learn something. So we, as in our prayer life, if you wish to use the Lord's Prayer as a model, you want to say it first so that model's right in front of you. And your voice is unified with the whole church of Jesus Christ saying, Our Father, who art in heaven. But then, then you want to offer your own prayers. And if you want to model them on that prayer, you might want to take just an element out of it. Today I need to work on forgiveness of that person who hurt me at the family reunion or at work or, or that candidate who's ruining my life and everyone else's. Or maybe today I need to focus on my utter dependence upon God because I'm getting just a little full of myself and I feel like I got it all under control. Whatever it is in your prayer life that needs, wherever your heart needs expanding, wherever your circle of concern needs to grow, 
You model that part of your prayer after Jesus' prayer. Even as you seek to offer to God the one thing needful, the one thing He really wants, which is yourself, your heart, as you offer it to Him. In that mutual conversation over issues of mutual concern. Will you join me for a word of prayer just like that now? Lord, we do not know how to pray aright, but your Spirit does intercede for us. Your Son gave himself for our salvation, and now the Spirit calls us in faith to follow after him and to learn, like the children we are, under your fathership, to pray. Teach us, O Lord, to pray. Remember us in your kingdom. Fill us with your Spirit so that we may, little by little, grow more and more into the image of him who truly teaches us to pray and teaches us our utter dependence on you, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Be thou my best thought in the day